But we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And our focus verses are verses 14 through 17 today. Um, but we're going to stand together and we're going to go ahead and read the chapter uh, together. So if you're able to stand, stand. And uh, we are uh, going through uh, some in-depth verses in each chapter every Sunday, then coming together on Wednesday nights and going through the whole chapter, getting the whole context and uh, anything we may have kind of missed um, on the Sunday morning. So Second uh, Corinthians chapter 2. And I'll, I'll uh, read it for us. But I determined this within myself, that I would not come again to you in sorrow. For if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad but the one who's made sorrowful by me? And I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came, I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you all, that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. But if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent, not to be too severe. This punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man, so that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. For to this end, I also wrote that I might put you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things. Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I've forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices." Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit, because I did not find Titus, my brother. But taking my leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. Now, thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Lord, we just lift up our time in your word this morning as we uh, are a bit removed from the difficulties that Paul went through in this season with the Corinthians, and, and yet we have our own difficulties and trials and, and things that we need your comfort in, even in our local body here, God. And Lord, as we come to these, these select verses today and, and seeing the triumph that you lead us in and through for the purpose of making you known to the world, God, we pray that your spirit would be in this place, speaking to our hearts, taking us out of uh, a road or a rut or maybe even a place of rot, Lord, and setting us on, a, on an incredible path, Lord, of fresh vision and direction and empowerment by the gospel today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated, you guys. <clears throat> Starting out in verse 14 today, our text 
says, thanks be to God. Now, thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ. It's the first part of the text there. Last week, when we looked at the God of all comfort, we saw our text in verse 3 of chapter 1 starts out, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. How it says, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. And how wonderful that our text in looking at God being the comfort and, and equipping us for ministry, even through our own trials and the comfort he gives us so that we can go out and comfort others. Uh, that wonderful bit of theology there started out with worship to the Lord. Bless God. Praise God. God And today it does the same thing. We start out our scripture today with thanks be to God. It's two Greek words, theos charis. And really what it means is God's grace. God's grace. And so you could read this passage. Now it's God's grace that he leads us in triumph in Christ. You know, coming to the book of 2 Corinthians, as the elders were praying about what book to do next, uh, you know, we were wrestling between a couple books, and one elder just spoke, you know, whatever we do, man, let's make sure we're not preaching moralism to our people, or false religiosity, just maybe a to-do list, giving people lists of things to do. You guys, that is really the soul and heart of every false religion in this world. Everybody out there has their to-do list for you and might even get you really pumped up in doing it. But if it is separated from the gospel of the Lord Jesus and the purposes that he's even calling us to these things and what he has done to make it happen and the powerful spirit that he gives us for this victorious life, then it's the soul and sum of every other false religion out there. It's counter-gospel. It's anti-gospel. It's what Galatians was written towards. And I was so grieved uh, last night tucking my son in. I was waiting for him to get in bed. And uh, I saw on Facebook uh, a pastor that uh, you know, I've just seen go from ministry. He's, he's stepped away from the pulpit. And, and uh, just noticing on his Facebook, just nothing but motivational statements, you know. Now, motivation, that's all wonderful, right? But the problem is if it's separated from the gospel and the glory of God, then there's no power in it, and it just brings condemnation. And it's the law is what it is. And so uh, something that we want to just be looking at in our text and going through is just the, the motivation and the power of the Spirit and what Jesus has done to redeem us out of our fallen state and we see that in our text today, that it's by God's grace. We've always got to have an eye at God's grace. A couple weeks ago, the men's retreat, you might remember, the men went through Ephesians. And before you get to chapters 4 through 6 of Ephesians, at the end, it's just, it's a whole lot of what seems like, do this, do this, do this, do this. Well, there's, four, uh, there's three whole chapters before that that say why we should do that and, and how we do that. 
And it's all the gospel. It's all what God has done for us. It's all his great love and care and purpose and forethought and all the energy he's sent and spent for us to be saved and brought out of darkness. And he's got the whole thing figured out for us. He's empowering us and he's getting us through it. And we can't go into the do this, do that stuff uh, apart from the he is doing it. He has done it and he wants to save you from not doing it and empower you to be able to do it by his grace and for his glory. And so uh, something to just start training your heart and your mind towards as you're looking at the scripture that, uh, that things always flow out of the gospel. And so our text today flows out of the gospel. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. It's the grace of God apart from our workings, apart from our failures or our non-failures, our victories. It's apart from us and completely upon him and what he's done through Christ that we are led in triumph in Christ. Theos charis, it's God's grace. And because of God's grace, always at all times, we are led in victory and in triumph in Jesus. The word leads us in triumph. Those four words are actually one word in the Greek. Thriambuo, totally butchering it, I know. But it means presently, actively, right now, he is causing us to triumph by his grace. It's a word for us in 2015 Prineville, Oregon. We're not separated from this encouragement to the Corinthians. By his grace, right now, there is an active, gracious work of God in Christ Jesus that we in all our situation are caused to triumph. Now all of this, especially when you look at the word triumph, it points to the victory of a conquering general. And back in the day when, especially the Romans and that culture, when a general would go off to war and go off on a conquest, as they would win that battle, they would bring all of the slaves that they captured, especially the top-notch brass of the other army. They wanted those guys alive so they could bring them back home to show how, you know, how tough they are, how victorious. Look at who we've championed over, and then look how we're going to humiliate him. And so they would have at the beginning of, of, of a parade, of a ticker tape parade, I think they're called, uh, as they would come back from the battle, and they'd ride through Rome, and the flowers are falling, and the people are cheering. They would have the main conquering general, like Titus Vespasian from the 70 AD period against the Jews. And, and as he would come, he would ride on his chariot and then tied off of his chariot with chains would be the commanding commanders of the other army being drugged in re, just, you know, just looking pitiful in comparison to their general. And then following the commanders, they would have all of the other slaves that were being brought and they were being brought specifically to be humiliated and slaughtered and tortured in horrible ways. You guys have seen Gladiator. You have an idea of the Colosseum in Rome. And as you read Josephus's works of even what they did to the Jews, just an incredible display there in the Colosseum. They would recreate battles in just drama and incredible ways. And they'd rework the battles with those 
you know, the enemy generals as the bad guys, and then they'd kill them in front of everybody and kind of reenact what happened. And behind, in the parade, behind the other army and the, and the, uh, the prisoners who were destined to die, they would have all of the plunder and all of the riches, and they would bring that in the parade and show off what they got. And you might have seen the, the images in Rome that are still there today in the, the arch there in Rome. Uh, there's carvings engraved uh, of the Roman Titus Vespasian coming back from Jerusalem. He has all the slaves behind him, and he has all of the articles from the temple being carried into Rome. And so there's the menorahs, there's the other uh, arcs and the things like that, the uh, tables of showbread, and uh, coming into Rome. So that's a little bit of the idea of a, a triumphant entry, of a triumphal parade after a battle. And yet now we can take that from an idea of happening in Rome or happening in Greece uh, and have it happening in the spiritual realm where we have our commanding general, the Lord God. And it's an interesting language here. It took me a bit of studying this week to kind of get the whole picture of what's happening. So we have the general, the Lord God, who is leading us in this triumph parade. Now, as Hodge wrote, we are being led not as captives, but as sharers in his victory. So that's a wonderful thing. Thanks be to God. It is God's grace that, our, that the commanding general, at one time the New Testament says, we were war with God. And if you're apart from Christ here today, you're not a Christian, you haven't surrendered to the lordship of Christ or to his saving grace upon your life, I would say that to you today. You're not at war with God. The language is in the Bible, you are war with God. That is not a good place to be. If I'm at war with anybody, I don't want to be at war with God. And I certainly don't want to have it be said, I am war with God. No, not me. I'm not tough enough. I don't know about you, but I would lose that battle. Pretty bad, actually. Um, and, and so with that in mind, to know that we are brought not as any longer those who have been conquered by the general and are being drugged as slaves, but by his grace, we've been redeemed and saved and peace has been made. No longer were we war with God, but we've had a, a truce. We've surrendered. We've been brought in Uh, after the surrender. The surrender is a wonderful thing. And because we have surrendered, we now actually even share in the victory of that general. Now that's wonderful, right? That sounds wonderful. I love that. Like, I'm not a captor. I'm not the slave. I'm, I am, I'm, I get to be a part of this thing because of the grace of God. But the more I studied, uh, reading Barnett, who's just incredible mind. Listen to what he says. The metaphor, this is a picture of this triumph parade, is at the same time triumphal for us and anti-triumphal. It is as God leads his servants as prisoners of war in a victory parade that God spreads the knowledge of Christ everywhere through them. Whereas in such victory processions, the prisoners would be dejected and embittered. From this captor's lips, Paul, 
comes only thanksgiving to his God, his captor. Here is a restating power, uh, here is a restating phrase throughout all of 2 Corinthians that there is power in weakness. And so very interesting to make our, make our mind of what we're hearing today from the word. Understand that, that as we follow our commander in this incredible triumph parade, we still follow as slaves. And yet the slavery that we read of in the New Testament is more freeing and freedom than any freedom this world could ever give. And Paul himself would mention that he himself is a bond servant to God. And it takes us back to the book of Exodus, where a slave would work for his master a period of six years, and he would, you know grow to love this master and appreciate this master and, and, and just, man, I can't imagine going anywhere else. And he would willingly, at the time of his release, say, Master, there's nowhere else I want to be. I want to be your servant for the rest of my life. And so the master would take him to the doorpost of his house and he would put his ear up against the doorpost and drive a wooden awl through his ear. And that was a symbol, and this isn't something I'm making up, this is from the Bible in the book of Exodus, I think it's chapter 26, it says that from that point on, that man was known as a bondservant, someone who willingly said, I want to serve you for the rest of my life. Now we can come today and we look at our God as not some cruel dictatorial master, although he had the right if he wanted to be, but he is the God who took on flesh and became a servant and he himself became a servant to the point of dying on the cross for us so Paul's heart is how can I not turn back around in light of all of his grace and mercy to me and the forgiveness of my sins and be a servant right back and so Paul writes from a place of not an embittered slave being drugged behind the chariot of the commander. Ah, I hate you guys. If we could just have one more try at this battle, I get you. No, but he said, man, I'm free. I'm free to be a slave. I'm compelled to be a slave because of the grace of God. And I do it with thanksgiving to God, my captor. He's captured my heart, captured my life. Barnett goes on to say the image of the captive slave in the military procession is critical both to the sovereignty of God and to his servant's suffering in Christ. We want to have right understanding of all of the grace that's been poured out on us, all that was due to us before grace, which was wrath and death. And God in his sovereignty has worked it out to where he leads us now in triumph. Notice the verse, the triumph is led by God and is in Christ. It's by God's grace that we are led in triumph. Let's look at a couple other New Testament verses here. Romans 8.35, if you're going through the Eat This Book reading plan this year with us, we've been in Romans this week, and Romans 8 even, and this is such a beautifully comforting, wonderful passage for us today. Romans 8.35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sakes we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for slaughter. And listen to this. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So man, we can go through life as Christians and we can go through times of trouble and stress and the grind that we talked about last week. We can go through periods of famine and nakedness and peril and sword. And as Christians, we can even be persecuted to the degree, the degree that we are like sheep going through the slaughterhouse. Yet even in those times, we are more than conquerors. Not because we're like, oh, I am just so strong and so I can handle anything. No, it's through him, through him who loved us, that we are made conquerors. And then he goes on to say in Romans 8 there in verse 38, and I remember being a freshman in high school and uh, my youth pastor wrote a song about this, but he says, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We cannot be separated from that love that's in Christ Jesus. Why? Because in all things, we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. Colossians 2 has a very similar thing, uh, a very similar theme, I should say. It says that we were buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him, through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the circumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, forgiving you all of your trespasses. Now catch that. Catch the grace there. You were dead in trespasses and sins. That's me. That's you. Apart from Jesus. Dead. But he has made you alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. And in that, I love this imagery, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that's against us, which was contrary to us, and then he took it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And listen to this. When he did that at the cross, he disarmed principalities and powers, that means angels and demons and Satan's, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Did you catch that? He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So God had the ticker tape parade, riding in victory at the cross, and behind his chariot were principalities and powers and wicked ones that tried to thwart the plan and glory of God. We have victory, you guys, but it's because of grace. It's because of God and what he's done by sending his son to die a sinner's death on the cross, even though he had no sin. And it was there at the cross that Genesis 3.15 was fulfilled when Jesus crushed Satan's head, bruising his own heel in the process. Now verse 14 goes on to say, that through us, 
He diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Today's title, normally I say this at the beginning, but it's the powerful aroma of the triumphant Christ. He leads us in triumph. We've been set free from slavery, yet we're still slavery compelled. We're still slaves compelled by grace. And in this parade through life that we now are in, in triumph, he diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Barnett goes on to say, it's probably connected with the imagery of that Roman triumph in which the prisoners in the captivity procession strew incense as they spread the fragrance of the victor. In the same way, God spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ through us. It's probably connected with that image of the Roman triumph where the prisoners of captivity strew the incense as they walk. And so we now, as bond servants, just throw the incense and light the incense, only it's not incense of death, it's incense of life. And it's through us. It's through us. He uses us, Christians, as the conduit, as the pipeline, as the vessels that his knowledge is carried to the world. How are we saved? Well, we're saved by faith. It says in Romans 10.9, If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead... You will be saved, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So we are saved by the grace of God through faith, believing in what he's done. Why are you telling us this, Rory? Well, because that same chapter, Romans 10, goes on to say, why don't you guys go ahead and turn there. We had a a little glitch and an error there. We don't have all the verses up today, so this is just good. It keeps us from getting too lazy. Romans 10, 14. So we know that's, that's how we're saved. By grace through faith. So, Romans 10, 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. And so we see that this fragrance of his knowledge goes through us. There is a process that God has divinely set up for this fragrance to go forth. And if you just break down the passage we just read, Christ sends followers. Followers preach. Now often that's where the breakdown of the plan is. You know, followers aren't sent out and followers don't open up their mouth to tell this wonderful good news. Because the next part of the process would be people hear. Hearers believe believers call and those who call are saved now 
In the last year, the Lord has stirred in our church and in our leadership that there has been a breakdown in this great plan of God in the last 2,000 years. Now, there has been wonderful advancement of the gospel. There have been many people who have laid their lives down so that this fragrance of the knowledge of Christ can be spread. But in 2,000 years, less than half the world has been reached with this gospel. And there's a quote that's resonated in my heart by George Pentecost. It says, to the pastor belongs the responsibility of the mission problem. And when you see there's a breakdown in the plan, followers preach, people hear, hearers believe, believers call, those who call are saved, and yet people aren't going and preaching. Man, as a church, we want to be looking at the word of God and being stirred by the things that God is stirring us for. We see that our text today says that we diffuse the fragrance of Christ. We manifest the fragrance of Christ. And the Greek here means that we as Christians make visible an invisible reality. And so we as Christians have this duty, this calling, this commission by Jesus Christ himself to go and to share the gospel with people, the knowledge of Christ. We have a calling, even out of our text today, to diffuse this fragrance of Christ. It's through us that this fragrance is diffused, that there would be a smell of Jesus out of us. There's a fragrance out of us to this world. If you're a King James Version person, I like it. It says, the savor of Christ. I like that. It makes me think of, you know, just really enjoying something, you know, just really savor the flavor, you know. And just, man, as people are around us and they hear of Jesus through us and they witness Jesus in our lives, that people have to take time to just step back and, and ponder, and what is happening here? What is it about this person? There's something changed in his life. There's light, there's hope. He keeps talking about salvation and forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration and deliverance. And oh man, I, it's in Jesus? Man, I just gotta savor that for a minute. It speaks of the Old Testament sacrifices, how when people, not people, excuse me, when people would kill the animals and the animal sacrifice would ascend to heaven in the cloud. It says it was a savory uh, sacrifice to the Lord. And Ephesians would later tell us that's a picture of Jesus' death, the true and best savory, sweet-smelling sacrifice to God. It's a an action of diffusing fragrance that is well-pleasing to God, no matter what effects it produces, just that we are just diffusing the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. Man, that, that's incredible worship to the Lord. That's the glory of God going out to the world. Today we have many examples of perfumes and, and uh, deodorants and uh, incenses and fragrance sticks and misters and aroma diffusers. I mean, you can just picture in your mind what you want to picture. And we see that we are the ones that diffuse that. You know, I have in my mind just the, the new things that uh, it's like a jar of perfume oil and you got those sticks coming out, you know, and man, we are the sticks, you guys. 
We're the sticks that just diffuse that fragrance in the room. We cause him to be known. And somehow, in God's sovereign plan, without us, he won't be known. That's how he has set it up. That's his plan. That the beautiful aroma of his knowledge would go out. Charles Hodge writes, that men should know the Lord Jesus Christ in the sense of recognizing, loving, and worshiping him as God who was manifest in the flesh. That they would know that he is the consummation of redemption. He is the sum of all blessedness and excellence. That they would know that. And there are so many who do not know that. Notice the verse also says, we diffuse the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. Where? Where does it, what does it say? Where does this happen? In every place. Verse 14. In every place. In all places. In any places. In the totality of all and every, everywhere, everywhere. Here, there, in the air, down below, everywhere. The fragrance needs to be diffused that people would know that he is the consummation of redemption. You guys, I encourage you, read your whole Bible and you will not get away from, nor can you get away from, that God's heart is that every place would have this sweet incense diffused from sticks or from misters. You want to think of yourself as a mister. You want to think of yourself as a Glade plug-in. Whatever you want to think of yourself as, the aroma's got to go out. You take that aroma out to every place. The Great Commission, we spend so much time looking at the Great Commission, some of Jesus' final words in his earthly ministry. We take those final words to us to heart when he says in Matthew 28, 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. So go and make disciples of all the nations. He might as well have said, go and make disciples of every place. Of all nations. Mark's version of the, gospel, of the Great Commission says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And when you read, read, when you read Romans 8, when you read Romans 8, you see that the whole world and all of creation, the forests, the flowers, the, the environment, it's all craning its neck for the day when the gospel will be fully realized and will be fully come to pass in the kingdom of God. It's craning its neck. It can't wait. There's earnest expectation of creation. And we can just go through life and we preach the gospel. It's always on our lips. In every place, to every creature. And it says here in Mark 16, anyone that believes as the fragrant aroma goes out, and will be baptized, will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. So as that fragrance is diffused, people believe and they're baptized and they're saved, 
And then it says, and here's the clincher, people that don't believe, nothing about baptism right here, but if you don't believe, you won't be saved. That's going to be important in our next verse here. Genesis chapter 12, God's promise to Abraham, he says, I will bless those who bless you, I'll curse those who curse you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. In another promise to Abraham, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So write these words down, you guys. We diffuse the fragrance in every place through Jesus, through Abraham's seed, all the families will be blessed. All the nations will be blessed. In the Great Commission, go preach the gospel to Every nation in Mark's commission, go preach the gospel to every creature. We're talking every all, every, everyone needs to hear. Rich, poor, black, white, yellow, red, fat, skinny, they need to hear. There needs to be this aroma, this fragrance diffused. So the knowledge of God can go out to every place. And something that, if you're new to this, if you're old to this church, if you're old to this church, you've heard it a million times, and I hope so, because then you're going to start teaching it to people. But if you're new to this church in the last couple months, in the last year, God has shown us from the scriptures that there are people that have never heard of Jesus in this world, like no concept whatsoever of who Jesus is, what he's done how they can be reconciled to God, their creator, and be forgiven of their sins. They have no clue. In some of the studies that we've done, we've found out that in the 7 billion people in this world, there are what's considered 11,000 people groups or nations. We're not talking sovereign nations like Mexico and Canada or whatever, however the accent for Canada. Canada. You know, we're not talking sovereign nations. We're talking Ethnic, linguistic groups that are separated by each other, by culture and geography and language. And that it's believed that there's some 11,000, some say 17,000 as they study it. Different tribes, different tongues, different little nations. And as Genesis tells us, even little families. 11,000 in that 7 billion. And the studies show that only half of that Actually, some 6,000 of that have still, they're called unreached people. So in 2,000 years since Jesus said, go into all the world, only part of the going has been done. And as population growth takes place, that means there's more and more people that haven't heard. Over half the world's population is unreached. And that means that less than 2% of the population is born-again disciples of Jesus. Now, out of that 6,000 different languages, ethnic groups, cultures, half of that 3,000 people group are what's called unengaged, unreached. Unengaged, unreached. What that means is, is that there is no active mission work going on towards those 3,000 people groups who've never heard the saving gospel of Jesus Christ, who only know enough about God to condemn them to hell for all eternity, Romans 1 tells us, and they are in a place of desperate spiritual distress 
Now, there's a reason they're unreached. They're in the highest mountains, the coldest mountains, the deepest, darkest valleys, the most deserted, waterless places with no food and hostile tribal leaders around them. There's terrorists. There's people that are killing Christians. If they even think of becoming a Christian, there's a reason they're unreached. And God tells us today in 2 Corinthians, by the grace of God, he leads us in triumph to go diffuse the beautiful aroma therapy of the knowledge of Jesus in every place. God stirred in our hearts this last year that Nepal is one major focus of our church. But man, we got guys praying for Haiti right now to go to Haiti, Cambodia to go to Cambodia. We've got guys that are like, man, you know what? There are Mexican families here in this community and Hispanic families that they don't know Jesus. And, you know, I'm putting my kids in the Spanish immersion program because there's strangers next door who don't know Jesus. There's people, unreached people groups, even in our community there's, there's people from different Muslim groups in Prineville that are from unre... And why are they here? Maybe so that they can hear of Jesus and take him back to their country with them. Maybe we'll go with them. In every place, you guys, there is urgent spiritual need. And because there's urgent spiritual need for gospel transformation there, there's also urgent physical need there. Children are trafficked. Women are brutalized. There's poverty beyond belief. There's no medical care. There's no education. Starvation. Disease. Transmitted disease. You guys, because there's no gospel, it's hell there. And God calls us to diffuse the wonderful, beautiful fragrance of the knowledge of Christ in those places. And we see that right now it's a large task a tall order the thought of going to those places but the other last thing jesus said before he ascended to heaven was that you will receive power to do this when the holy spirit comes into your life and upon your life and you will be witnesses of me in your local community jerusalem prineville in your regional community of crook county madras mitchell Redmond, Ben, and in your global community, you will have the power and the courage to go do it. Right now, you feel like Peter denying Jesus. I don't think I could ever do it, Rooster Crow. But when the Holy Spirit comes into your life and invades your life and empowers your life and gives you a vision of the gospel ever before your eyes, all of a sudden you say, we've, we've got to, and he'll enable us to. He's calling us to. Moving on in our text today, and we'll just continue this idea as we go on. Verse 15 tells us in 2 Corinthians 2. I know you guys feel handicapped without the slides up there. 2 Corinthians 2.15. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So we belong to God as a fragrance or aroma among two types of people. First of all, those who are being saved, rescued, delivered, healed, praise God. In this room, that's represented. 
And in this community that's represented, and people hear of Jesus, there's a fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved. And the other group are those who are perishing, they're being destroyed, they are lost. And the language says that they aren't even aware of their location, that type of being lost. They don't even know they're lost. They're unaware of what's going on. But notice there's no third group. There's either those who are saved or those who are perishing. And I would ask you today, which group are you? Have you surrendered your life, your will, your rights, everything that you think you should be about and should get? And have you recognized that you are a sinner who's rebelled against God in every way, shape, and form, and you are destined to hell? You are destined to separation from God. In fact, even now you are separated from God. There's a middle wall of separation between you and God. You are spiritually dead you are perishing. You have perished and your life shows that. You are perishing and your life shows that. And you will perish. Eternity will show that. But you know, just as there are those different tenses of perishing, chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians says that we are those who have been delivered and saved by Jesus. And today we're being delivered and saved by Jesus. And one day we're going to see him face to face. His kingdom will come in entirety. And we will be delivered and saved in Christ Jesus. Which group are you in? There's no third group. There's no, I'm going to try to earn my own way there and get myself a spot. I'm going to work things out on my own. I'm a good person. There's like the third part. There's those that are saved by the grace of God. There's those that are perishing because they're separated from the... And then there's those that just really, really try hard and he's just going to go ahead and let them in because at the end of their life, they've done more good than bad. It's not in there. No third group. Which are you? Boltman comments, the gospel is not vague or unclear. When you hear it, you've spelled out your decision. And you've heard it today. You've already made your decision today. This dude up front is one of the, just, this is just ridiculous. Trying to tell me that I'm spiritually bankrupt and that I'm not good, I'm not a good person and I'm going to go to hell. Forget you. When does this thing get over? You made your decision. Or if what you've heard today, you've thought, oh, just give me a couple more weeks. I've just got to get my affairs in order. I'm just going to, I got a couple more things that I got to do that I know God's not really very pleased with. And I'm just going to do that. And then maybe later all this, I mean, it's attractive, this whole Jesus thing and getting his name to the nations and Nepal. And that sounds exciting and adventurous, but not now. It's just, it's not palatable to me right now. You've made your decision. You're perishing. You die today, you go to hell. But if you humble yourself as a little child today, right now, while the, the word is going to you, humble yourself, turn from your sins, receive the grace of God that can also be said the thanks to God. You'll be born again. You'll be given a new heart, a new life, new affections. All old things will be done away, put away, forgiven and forgotten by God and all things will become new. Right now, are you saved or are you perishing? John Calvin noted that we must distinguish between the proper offices of the gospel 
and the accidental ones, so to speak, which must be imputed to the depravity of mankind to which it is owing that life is turned into death. In other words, as the message goes forth today, I'm not a Calvinist, and there's not everything that I believe that John Calvin says is amen and yes, but there's many wonderful things that this brother did. To explain him, it says God's proper work is that he saves and gives life today. And in that, the accidental work is to cause others to perish. John 15, Jesus said, If I had not come and spoken this to them, they would have no sin. They would have no cloak over their sin. But now I've said it, and they have no excuse for their sins. Hodge says, The word of God is quick and powerful, either to save or to destroy. It cannot be neutral. If a man rejects the gospel, it had been far better for him never to have heard it. It will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for him. This, which is the doctrine of the Bible, is plainly seen as the doctrine of this passage in 2 Corinthians 2. The gospel and those who preach it are either a savor of life to those who are saved or a savor of death to those who are perishing. If not the one, it will be the other. And I ask you again, what is it for you? The savor of life leading to life or the savor of death leading to death? Verse 16 of our text says, to the one we are the aroma of death leading to death. Ooh, you got it up there. How'd you do that? Woohoo, Josh, praise God. <laughs> to the one we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? So to the group that is perishing, we diffusers, sensi sticks, glade plugins, candle behind the toilet, whatever, you know. <laughs> Dried flowers crushed together, potpourri. We are the aroma of death to them. Death leading to death. Of death expresses the quality and unto death expresses the effect. As I was, had read a book by Eugene Sledge called With the Old Breed, on, uh, speaking of his World War II battles on Peleliu and Okinawa, he wrote of Peleliu and how it was, I mean, it to say hell on earth is obviously not a good comparison, but just horrible, horrible place on earth. Many of you have been in battle and you can understand, but he writes of the horrible conditions. As one can imagine, the smell of rotting rations, corpses, and excrement combined to form an inconceivably putrid stench. At every breath one inhaled hot, humid air, heavy with countless repulsive odors. Sledge recalls, I felt as though my lungs would never be cleansed of all those foul vapors. And you know, to those that are 
on their death sentence. And they're in the battle where it seems they'll never live. And couple that with everything else grotesque and horrible that's going on. Just the aroma of death as you're just being led to your death. But we need to understand that it's not a savor of death or of life. But it's a savor arising from death. And a flavor arising from life. To the one class, Christ is dead to them and yields only a smell of death. To the other, he's alive and he yields the smell of life. To those who are perishing, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, we'll be there in a few weeks, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age is blinded, who don't believe. He says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. See how there's those two different camps, those who are perishing, message of the cross, foolishness. Those who are being saved, the power of God. But there's also this aroma of life, isn't there? Peter says, if you believe he is precious to you, But if you are disobedient, he will be a stumbling block and a stone of offense to you. But to those who are being saved, you sniff it in. There's flowers and birds chirping. At the end of Sledge's battle on Okinawa, he writes, A friend and I went over to a little wooded area and near the field, and we ate our K-rations in the shade. We walked into a completely untouched scene that resembled a natural park or a botanical garden. Slow, graceful pines cast dense shade and ferns grew on the rocks and banks. It was cool and the odor of fresh pine filled the air. Miraculously, it bore not a single sign of war. And maybe you would come to this place, to this church today, and the aroma of death Jesus was the aroma of death. You come in here, just bitterness of Jesus, stupid Jesus, this is all, this whole following Jesus with all my heart and all my life and uh, uh, confessing my sins and uh, forget it. Ugh, ugh. Can't get it out of my lungs. Ugh. But maybe like Sledge here, Eugene Sledge, God today by his grace in this church brought you out of the battlefield of Pelelu and to the end of the war for you today where there's grass and it's lush and there's streams and there's ferns growing and it would smell as a botanical garden to you. You would come to Jesus and find him to be full of mercy and grace, slow to anger and quick and rich in love, and your war would be over with him. Right here, right now. We are an aroma, aren't we? We have the worship team come up. We're an aroma in our workplaces. We're diffusing a fragrance. But the main way that happens is by letting people know the knowledge of Christ. Does it seem like a tall task to be an aroma, to be someone who's going to every place? It seems like a lot, doesn't it? That's a big task. In fact, Paul writes, who is sufficient for these things? Who can do this? 
Paul didn't feel sufficient. I don't feel sufficient. I don't feel sufficient to go to these other nations, to go across the street. I don't have it in me. Who is sufficient for this? In the next chapter, chapter 2, he says, Our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Guys, don't try to just muster up strength for this task of being an aroma. Come to the one who sends the power of the Spirit. Receive the power of the Spirit. Let him bring the courage and the boldness by his own deity to open up your mouth and make known the gospel. This week, my truck broke down over at Miti and Dita, and, and uh, the owner of the restaurant helped me and uh, ended up giving me a ride home. I had a kid in a, in a car seat. Lindsay was out of town. I had Russell, pr- broken down truck. It's nighttime. I'm getting a ride in a little kind of cooped up truck. <laughs> And he shares with me that his family has been going through tragedy. And they're just heartbroken. Deaths in the family. And I was able to share with him Jesus from 2 Corinthians 1 from last week and the God of all comfort. And I prayed with him there in the pickup in my driveway and just sharing of Jesus and the hope that's in Jesus. And my son, who's an evangelist, he's eight years old and he just can't tell people enough about Jesus. He gets out of the truck and he's so excited that we just were ta- talking about Jesus and this guy. And he's in my front yard and Hildardo's pulling out and he goes, I love you. <laughs> and he kind of walks a little ways and, and Hildardo was, you know, pulling out and, you know, and he's just like, I-, I love you. I love you. <laughs> like he wanted to make sure he heard, I love you. That's my contribution to this conversation. I love you. And our friend pulls out and drives down the road, and Russell's like, okay, Dad, you got to tell me this conversation from start to finish. He had a Hispanic accent, and I couldn't get everything, but Dad, start from the very beginning, from the restaurant, and then through when the truck broke down, and then up through the driveway, and what you just said, and what you just prayed, tell me all about it. And so we went, and we got a Dairy Queen, and the whole way, he's like, and then what, and then what, and then you said what, and then, and he was just like, oh, and he leans back in his chair, and he goes, this is telling people about Jesus is more exciting than the best day full of games or anything, Dad. And I was just like, praise God, buddy. And he said, let's turn on some worship music. I just got to praise Jesus right now. Who's sufficient to have a kid like that? Or It's not us, you guys. Come to our home and hang out. You know that, oh, those Rogers are amazing. No, we're just a bunch of sinners saved by God's grace, and we need his power to like make it through bedtime. Okay, that's us. Some of you have been there. Josh lived with me. He's heard it. You guys, we're not sufficient for this. We're not sufficient to share in a car or on a bus or in the cubicle or in Nepal or wherever. He, by his power, by his grace, by the grace of God, has made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. So why don't we just set our things aside and we're going to move to worship now. And just first of all, let's just address that you coming in these door today's, doors today, you are in one of two camps. You are one who is perishing because you do not know God in an experienced way. You've never experienced his grace and love and the transforming power of the gospel of what Jesus has done 
You're perishing. Your life shows that you have perished. Currently, you're perishing. And one day, you'll be cast out of the presence of God to an eternity in the lake of fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. But today, as the word has gone forth, Right now, God's grace, even right now, he's giving you an opportunity to respond to his saving work as he has already sent his son and the son shed his blood and the blood washes away the sins of the world. And if you would say, amen, I need that washing. You would call upon him today for forgiveness, for mercy, for grace, for power. For you today, you are without excuse. The preacher has preached. You have heard. And you will either believe and call upon the Lord and be saved or reject Shrug your shoulders against God and be perishing. It is our plea here today that you would be reconciled to God. He's reaching out his hand to you today. Will you respond? Will you respond right now where you're at? There's no sinner's prayer to pray. But will you respond? Will you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today? Trust in him and rest in him for the forgiveness of sins, for a new life, that he will make you a new creation. That he'll take your heart of stone and make it into a heart of flesh that can beat and know God and want to know God. During this last song, would you just take the time and be with God and say to him, Lord, I need that. Have mercy on me, a sinner. For those who are Christians and maybe those that would even cry out to God today, this is for you. God has made you a beautiful, fragrant disperser to get the knowledge of God to every place. And if you hear his call on your life, don't worry today. Man, are you saying I'm going to move to such and such a place? Don't worry about that. Just say, amen, Lord. I want to diffuse your fragrance in every place. And let it start today, this afternoon, in this town. If you hear God calling you to such a dispersion of his knowledge, let's respond in song and in praise today.